And if this is America first, then America is f***ed. Well, I'm not sure I have much to add there. Well said, John Stewart. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WMHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, sweltering Seattle. Also in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another edition of the award-wanting Bradcast. Good to have you here with us. So, uh, a rather gobsmacking story of corruption by Florida's largest utility company, Florida Power and Light, the largest utility in the nation, I believe, has been playing out this week, uh, particularly in Florida, as a whistleblower has released thousands of documents revealing that FPL, among other things, used millions of ratepayer dollars to basically buy decades of influence peddling, funding fake ghost candidates for office, and to even secretly take control of a local influential so-called news outlet, just taking secret control of it to influence state lawmakers, policy decisions in Tallahassee regarding Florida Power and Light's near monopoly control of, well, power in the state, especially when it comes to tamping down the use of residential solar power in the Sunshine State. That remarkable story and an expert on energy policy in Florida joins us shortly with some insight on this still unfolding, shocking, but somehow not actually all that surprising story, Desi Doyen. I would agree with that. I mean, it is still it is still shocking. But yes, a a utility like this with so much power in a single state because it has a monopoly and it is incredibly Mm -hmm. powerful in Florida. And what they're able to get away with, man. Uh, The dark money, this this scandal is just it's it's kind of mind boggling. I'm sure Ron DeSantis will get right on this. (laughs) First up, uh, quickly, some listener mail, since I never have time to get to it when I try to leave it for the end of the show. So let 
let me put some uh, first here. Uh, this one, Des, uh, from Margot, has to do with you. Ah. So buckle up. Okay. Uh, she writes, while listening to today's informative broadcast via Bradblog, during the Green News report, I heard Desi refer to it as the Rio Grande River, which translates to River Big River. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Uh, she notes the same error occurs here when the Rio Hondo is called the Rio Hondo River, which equals river, deep river. <laughs> she makes so, an excellent point. Yeah, yes. I, I hope you'll apologize. Well, to I'm from our Texas, listeners. so that's how we say it. Do things. they say it down there, the Rio, Rio Grande, Grande River? river. Well, well, you know. That's a good question, actually. <laughs> well, you haven't been there in a while. <laughs> anyway, Margo writes, just diverting from really important matters by pointing out this discrepancy. Thanks for the good work and hope you are and stay well. Thank you, Margo. Listener Rick G. writes to bradcast at bradblog.com, subject line, good news about bad news. Hi, Brad. Just came across this New York Times article about OANs, hopefully upcoming demise oan being the one america news network or whatever it's a tv outlet uh, it's even fringier and more maga than newsmax which is even fringier and more maga than fox news uh, although all three of them have been sued by voting machine companies dominion and smartmatic for lying about the 2020 election having been stolen through the use of hacked voting machines uh, Rick writes, I don't feel like celebrating about OAN's hopefully upcoming demise until we have a lot more righteous victories. But I am grooming my inner schadenfreude <laughs> for future outbursts. Best to you and Desi, writes Rick G. So what is this story from The Times that Rick uh, doesn't want to get too excited about yet? Uh, headline, OAN, a dependable Trump promoter faces a death blow. So sad. It's a sad story. The uh, the future of One America News, which established itself as a powerful voice in conservative media, they mean far-right extremist media, by promoting some of the most outlandish falsehoods about the 2020 election, is in serious doubt as major carriers drop it from their lineup and defamation lawsuits threaten to drain its finances. By the end of the week... The Times writes the cable network will have lost its presence in some 20 million homes this year. The most recent blow came from Horizon, which will uh, Verizon, which will stop carrying OAN on its Fios television service starting this weekend. That will starve the network of a major stream of revenue. The fees it collects from Verizon, which counts roughly 3.5 million cable subscribers, in April, OAN was dropped by AT&T's DirecTV, which has about 15 million subscribers. So the network will soon be available only to a few hundred thousand people who subscribe to some smaller cable providers like Frontier and GCI Liberty. Hey, Frontier and GCI Liberty, why are you carrying this fake news network? Just asking. OAN also sells its programs directly to users through its uh, streaming platforms, its, its apps, but those products most likely provide a fraction of the revenue generated by traditional TV providers. Very sad, the Times notes. Uh, I really think this is the death blow for the network, said Scott Robeson, a senior research analyst at S&P Global Market Intelligence. 
While OAN doesn't have the influence wielded by the much larger Fox News, a top-rated cable news network, the fees from its deals with Verizon and AT&T provide a substantial stream of income, about $36 million a year by some estimates, which must be very nice. Maybe I should start lying to listeners. Uh, I'd make a mint. It certainly does pay well. It pays better than this. Uh, What am I thinking? Anyway, uh, so uh, without all of those listeners, of course, they're probably going to have a very difficult time selling any more advertisement, at least for the same price on OAN. Nonetheless, I hope they sell a whole lot of my pillows anyway, because I suspect that's about the only uh, company. Who else would uh, support these clowns? So uh, very sad about that, are you? Well, think you're being canceled, OAN? Well, you are. But, you know, guess by who? The free market. Because you guys love the free market, right? These guys are also being sued, as noted, by Smartmatic and Dominion. An employee of uh, Dominion is also suing the network after they received death threats following OAN, naming them in a report as an alleged collaborator with Antifa. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, two election workers from Georgia, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, who testified to the January 6th committee, they're also suing OAN uh, for reporting that they were for falsely reporting that they were part of an illegal plot to add fraudulent votes to Joe Biden's totals in the state. Its anchors uh, have cast their network's dispute with Verizon as another attempt by corporate media establishment to silence conservatives. But again, it's that thing that so-called conservatives used to call the free market. So sorry, OAN, but thanks for all the lies. Anyway, speaking of lies and media, Donald Trump announced this week that he has decided to go after CNN in his latest litigation, or at least pretend to go after CNN. (laughs) According to documents sent to the network, Trump is now demanding. He's demanding that the news outlet eliminate any mention of the phrase the big lie and any implication that he lied in any way, shape or form about the 2020 election being stolen. Uh, The news came the day after it was revealed that Trump was likely part of a grand federal grand jury investigation into his attempt to steal the 2020 election. But a 282-page letter, in fact, was actually sent to CNN back on July 21. Trump didn't decide to say anything about it publicly until after the news about him being named in this grand jury investigation. There, uh, his attorneys uh, warned the network to retract or correct a whole bunch of online articles and comments made on Live television, if Trump were, in fact, to sue CNN for defamation, we will see if he does. He would, of course, be forced to prove that CNN knowingly lied when they claimed that Trump was lying about the 2020 election. And also CNN would uh, be able to request documents, a whole bunch of them. Discovery is From uh, Donald Trump, yeah. So uh, documents that I suspect Trump has absolutely no interest in actually handing over to the news network. Trump said in a statement on Wednesday, quote, I have notified CNN of my intent to file a lawsuit over their repeated defamatory statements against me. I will be commencing actions against other media outlets who have defamed me and defrauded the public 
regarding the overwhelming evidence of fraud throughout the 2020 election. The letter from uh, one of Trump's attorneys, that 282-page letter, uh, states CNN is estimated to have used the big lie phrase or to characterize Trump as lying roughly 7,700 times during broadcasted television shows and repeats of those shows. Well, maybe, but, you know, Washington Post, which tracked Trump's lies during his four years of his presidency, found that Trump actually made, quote, false or misleading claims a total of 30,573 times over four years. So I don't know, maybe CNN was lowballing it with 7,700 times uh, reporting on those lies. Accordingly, his attorney letter reads, I hereby demand on behalf of President Donald Trump that CNN, one, immediately take down the false and defamatory publications. Two, immediately issue a full and fair retraction of the statements identified herein as conspicuous a in as conspicuous a manner as they were originally published. It's a high-class attorney he's got working for him. And three, immediately cease and desist from its continued use of big lie and lying when describing President Trump's subjective belief regarding the integrity of the 2020 election. Of course, what I suspect uh, is happening here is part of this is a sort of a gambit to support his future defense in, you know, criminal court that he actually subjectively believed that the election was stolen from him. Therefore, uh, any action he took to stop a stolen election was perfectly appropriate, was the right thing to do. Also part of his First Amendment rights, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I suspect he will never actually file this suit or at least see it out, uh, if only because as a Sarah Burris notes at Raw Story, demanding an elimination of the term big lie in a lawsuit if he makes good on this threat to sue them for the use of the term big lie would mean a much more frequent use of the term big lie in reporting on his demand to stop using the term big lie. Good point. Of course, those are some stories about, uh, well, let's see, one fake news outlet, that would be OAN, and a fake lawsuit against a real news outlet at CNN. But what of those outlets that, you know, where we don't actually know whether they are fake or not, or if they are actually secretly bought and paid for by major monopoly power companies to affect public opinion and elections? And to prevent actions that might threaten their profits or, God forbid, help combat our climate emergency. On that, we have a doozy of a story today, still breaking this week out of the sunshine state of Florida. That mind-blowing story is next. You don't want to miss it. I promise. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Yeah. 
o'clock. Let the sunshine in, especially in Florida, though not if Florida Power and Light have anything to say about it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It is, of course, nowhere near certain just yet that the measure will pass. And even if it does, it may still fall far short of what many believe is necessary to fully take on our worsening climate emergency. But... The surprise agreement struck between Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and West Virginia's Democratic obstructionist and fossil fuel industry sponsored Senator Joe Manchin to invest some three hundred and sixty nine billion dollars to finally take on climate change at the federal level is being hailed today by many as a victory for long toiling, long protesting grassroots climate activists. They have, for years now, faced down long odds and well-moneyed interests in the form of hundreds of millions of dollars of opposition and misinformation by the fossil fuel industry, which has relentlessly worked for decades now to disinform the public and purchase the votes and the lies of politicians to block almost any and all climate action at the federal level. Included in that fossil fuel industry funded disinformation campaigns, we are now learning in the great state of Florida, thanks to a massive leak of millions of previously secret documents and emails, is a well-funded secret scheme carried on for years by Florida's monopoly utility, Florida Power and Light, to scam the public and poison public opinion through the covert manipulation of seemingly independent media outlets. As The Guardian reported this week as part of a massive, still-unfolding scandal for the Sunshine State's FPL, the nation's single largest utility company, the CEO of the biggest power company in the U.S. had a problem. A Democratic state senator was proposing a law that could cut into Florida Power & Light's profits. Landlords would be able to sell cheap rooftop solar power directly to their uh, to their tenants, bypassing FPL, FPL and its monopoly on electricity. I want you to make his life a living hell. Seriously, said FPL's chief executive officer, Eric Sillagy, in a 2019 email to two of his vice presidents about State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, who proposed this legislation within minutes. One of them forwarded that that directive to the CEO of Matrix LLC, a powerful but little-known political consulting firm that is operating behind the scenes in at least eight states. Rodriguez would be ousted from office in the next election after all of this. Matrix employees spent heavily on political advertising for a candidate with the same last name as Rodriguez, who ended up splitting the vote. The, that candidate later admitted that he was bribed to run. Hundreds of pages of internal documents, which are only coming to light now because Matrix's founders are locked in an epic feud, detail the firm's secret work to help power companies like FPL protect their profits and fight the transition to cleaner forms of energy. The Matrix saga illustrates the political obstacles policymakers and experts face as they attempt to cut Climate pollution from the power sector, one of the biggest greenhouse gas contributors in the U.S. 
But it wasn't dark money electoral chicanery only that was carried out by the Matrix firm on behalf of FPL. The power company actually took secret control of an influential, supposedly independent media outlet in the state. As Sarah Blasky of the Miami Herald, one of the many outlets in uh, Florida right now, plowing through these stunning documents, reports in a lengthy expose at Miami Herald this week, text messages and emails show how FPL executives maneuvered behind the scenes at a right-wing media outlet named The Capitalist, run by the former communications director for Florida's former governor, now U.S. Senator Rick Scott, to settle scores and bend the will of state regulators, politicians, and the public. For example, just three days before the 2018 election, the vice president of state legislative affairs at Florida Power and Light, a guy by the name of Daniel Martell, ordered a hit piece about the Democratic candidate for governor, Andrew Gillum. He was running neck and neck with Ron DeSantis at the time. He's now, of course, the state's Republican governor. In a text to the consultants, the FPL executive said he wanted a story that Gillum had neglected his mayoral responsibilities in Tallahassee, proposing the following narrative, quote, since the primary XXX shootings have happened in Tallahassee. Well, less than three hours later, the capitalist had a story up. The second sentence called out, quote, a crime wave of murders, robberies and shootings in Tallahassee. Martell ordered in another message, promote the blank out of this story. Each day's news also presented more subtle opportunities. Cell phone outages, for example, after a hurricane in the panhandle, which we reported on this show, offered an opening for the capitalist to highlight, quote, one more very pointed reason not to deregulate, according to a written suggestion from FPL executives to one of the consultants. FPL favors regulations that keep competition out of the market. The capitalist, of course, ran with it, publishing a story the following week headlined, quote, Can you hear me now? Verizon hurricane troubles underscore danger of deregulating power companies. Whenever Florida Power and Light faced a spate of bad publicity and political blowback, a small but ambitious news website called The Capitalist sprang to the public utilities defense, taking aim at its foes and their proposed rate hikes and controversial attempts to buy Jacksonville's public utility. The Capitalist savaged the critics, impugning their motives and suggesting that they were part of, quote, dark money schemes. Behind the scenes, uh, behind all of this, the FPL executives were backslapping every time the capitalist ran one of the stories that they were instructed to run. But unbeknownst to readers, these articles, one, for example, which promoted legislation to reimburse the multi-billion dollar utility for underground power lines, were not published simply because the capitalist was staunchly conservative and pro-business, as editor Brian Burgess had proudly announced when he founded the publication in 2016. These articles were written after the president of uh, Florida Power and Light, CEO Eric Silogy, made clear that he wanted them. And when he did, these stories happened. As it turns out, he was secretly running things at the capitalist. 
While portraying itself as a feisty, independent outlet, The Capitalist, which aims its content directly at Tallahassee decision makers, was bankrolled and controlled by executives of the power company through a small group of trusted intermediaries from an Alabama consulting firm named Matrix. That, according to an investigation by the Miami Herald based on this massive leak of documents. Now, uh, Burgess, the uh, the editor of The Capitalist, claims that, uh, well, he, he never, quote, met, corresponded with, spoken to, nor do I have any relationship whatsoever with the FPL executives. He says, I have never pitched nor solicited feedback from FPL executives on any story or business venture. I have never received a story pitch from any FPL executive. Of course, his communications were with FPL's contracted consultants at Matrix, which it turns out was working for FPL and directly with its executives. The documents obtained by the Herald included an unsigned draft of a confidentiality agreement that, if signed, would prevent Burgess from talking about his work with FPL's contracted consultants. And for their part, Matrix's owner has said that uh, he was unaware of now former employees work with the capitalist until the end of 2020. And in a carefully worded statement, he contends that Matrix was not involved in any way at all with the purchase or operation of the capitalist. So. Wow, there is much more here from the Herald as well as from the uh, Orlando Sentinel and other actual Florida media outlets. But let's get some perspective on all of this from someone who has been following this developing story closely, along with Florida Power and Light's years of manipulation and deception of their own ratepayers in the Sunshine State. Alyssa Jean Schaefer is the Florida-based Research and Communications Manager at the Energy and Policy Institute, where she focuses on tracking energy policy and advocacy in the quest for climate change mitigation and adaptation. Welcome to the broadcast, Alyssa Jean Schaefer. Thank you so much for having me. And I got to say, that was quite the explanation <laughs> of this web of scandal that we have going on. It's, you know, it's amazing, and it's really just a small piece of it. There is so much coverage of this going on as, as folks are plowing through this trove of documents. But let me start by sort of getting your top-line response to, to all of this. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, there's a lot from a bunch of different outlets. I'm wondering what has struck you about all of the various things that we're now learning from these, uh, from these whistleblower uh, document dumps. So honestly, if you are a Floridian and you're seeing these headlines about your power company, mm -hmm. which, by the way, you have no choice who your power company is. Mm -hmm. We're in a monopoly market. So if you have Florida Power and Light, you're stuck with them. You're paying that bill every month. So if you're seeing all these headlines, I don't understand how you cannot be furious. I mean, you use the phrase covert manipulation, and I think that's absolutely right. You're seeing uh, actions that, while FPL is continuing to say they're not doing anything illegal, it certainly crosses the line of, is that ethical? <laughs> Let's have a yeah. conversation of, is this okay? Like, what, how much are we, how, much, how many times are we willing to cross that ethics line when you're tricking your own customers? 
and I and I will say, you know, you mentioned we've been tracking this for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is true. You know, when we first saw the the ghost candidate scandal uh, pop up for the 2020 election cycle, there are actually three Senate races that were very key that all saw this the same phenomenon of a ghost candidate involved in this entire scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, there was a former senator, uh, Dem- uh, Republican Frank Artilis, who actually had even further years back uh, connections to FPL and his own set of scandals. So as soon as we saw that connection to Frank Artilis, this, this was on our radar. Mm-hmm. And in the last couple of years, seeing all of this unfold, it just gets more and more infuriating. I mean, here in Florida, we're dealing with a lot. It's kind of a crazy state. People like to make fun of us. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of folks that are being impacted by this nonsense. Uh, you know, we have elections coming up. And uh-huh. how are folks supposed to know that their votes aren't being manipulated by these fake candidates that are being propped up by dark money. Like, it's a very real concern. And so let me just to be clear here, for folks who are not familiar with these ghost candidates that you refer to, uh, essentially, I, I mentioned uh, one such situation where uh, they they funded, they propped up, apparently they bribed, according to the Miami Herald, this guy named Rodriguez to run against uh, an incumbent state senator who was named Rodriguez, essentially to siphon off uh, to siphon off votes so that the real Rodriguez's real opponent would end up winning the race. Is that sort of a, a correct description? Yeah, that's correct. And that Rodriguez is actually Jose Javier Rodriguez, who is the same person that FPL CEO Eric Salaji sent that message about making his life a living hell. Mm. So you can see how all of these pieces kind of tie together. And anytime there was a threat, to FPL's profits mm-hmm. uh, and increasing those profits to the shareholders, they have demonstrated that it seems like they will stop at just about <laughs> nothing to ensure that that opponent is blocked or weakened or intimidated or, in Jose Javier Rodriguez's case, replaced literally by 32 votes. <laughs> Which uh, would not have been the case had this phony candidate uh, not been run, not had uh, money spent secretly by this uh, company to uh, to put him up to it. And thank you. Uh, the CEO of FPL is uh, Eric Silagi. I, I was calling him Silagi. Thanks for that correction. Also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Alyssa, but uh, the millions of dollars that FPL is spending on all of this, paying to this uh, consultant group in Alabama to buy off these fake news outlets and you know bribe candidates to run, isn't that ratepayer money? Are, are Florida ratepayers here actually paying this power company for the company to be able to deceive the ratepayers themselves? So that question gets into some fuzzy accounting, and this is this is why accountability for these power companies is so critical. Uh, as it stands right now, Florida Power and Light w- has continued to say that no customer money is used in any of their marketing, political spending. Like that is that has been their policy. Those are the rules. Those are the regulations, and they continue. FPL continues to say that they're they're doing the right thing. They're not using customer money on this. Mm-hmm. So the money that they are using then is coming from shareholder profits. But you have to think <laughs> of, think that through a little bit. Those shareholder profits 
only happen uh-huh. because you have over 12 million customers paying a bill every month. Right. So you can make these distinctions, uh, but at a certain point, it becomes a little bit fuzzy. And I'll also say that, you know, the accounting and the auditing process that is supposed to happen uh, is not very transparent. So here in Florida, we have the Florida Public Service Commission, and every time Florida Power and Light comes in for a rate increase, which they just got 1.5 billion rate increase, by mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. every time they do that, they're supposed to have that, an audit of their expenses to check for things like this. Well, when all of these crazy headlines started coming out, there was a handful of Florida lawmakers that sent a letter to the Florida Public Service Commission asking basically what you just did. Like, hey, was any of the customer, our constituents' money used in this scheme? And now, with the latest news, has any of our constituent money been used also to control news sites and pass it off as genuine? Yeah. Uh, But this was before that news came out. And the answer was, hey, we did an audit. FCL says we're good. You just got to trust us. But we haven't actually seen those numbers and so there's no, we don't have, we just have to take the Public Service Commission's word for it, and we have to take FPL's word for it at this point. Uh, and if I'm seeing all this news and seeing the scandal and seeing the CEO spending what seems to be a lot of his time in uh-huh. the workday, uh-huh. you know, giving direct orders, saying what has to happen on this news site, what has to happen on these c- campaigns, how uh-huh. we have to squash opponents, uh, I'm, I'm really starting to question how trustworthy these numbers and the audit and how, you know, if they're actually, if FPL is actually following all the rules like they say they are. Yeah, I mean, you had the the CEO of FPL actually giving sort of daily orders down to what sort of illustrations they should include with articles, you know, lampooning various uh, uh, politicians or reporters actually targeting reporters for uh, reporting stuff that uh, FPL did not want reported. And yeah, that that distinction about, you know, oh, these aren't ratepayer dollars. These are shareholder profits. The shareholder profits come from the ratepayers. So I'm, I've, I don't even know how they're trying to make that distinction. A lot of this is still unfolding, of course, as as we noted. But is, is FPL, as far as you know, Al, uh, Alyssa, the only such company essentially paying off this Alabama consulting firm Matrix to do its bidding through these you know, dirty elections, buying up media outlets and so forth? Or, or, or do we know if the scandal reaches beyond Florida to other similar fossil fuel companies and, and, and utility companies and so forth in other states as well? So Matrix has been involved in this type of intimidation work, mm-hmm. uh, we'll just call it that, for several years. And we know through the reporting that you've mentioned that FTL has been working with them for a better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, that some of the recent reporting has also connected Matrix to, I believe, at least eight states total. So we have Alabama, obviously, is one of them, and several others. But I will say that if we take a step back and and look at our investor-owned utilities across the country, mm-hmm. whether they are working with Matrix or not, this is a playbook that we do see time and time again. And that is, you know, you have kind of this consulting firm as the middleman to do some of the dirty work because utilities don't want their name on it. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to say exactly some of the quotes that you said, like, oh, I never spoke to XYZ. Well, they can say that because they spoke to the consultant who then spoke to XYZ. Right. Um, And then you have kind of a similar uh, trends of setting up shell companies to pass money through so that it's, 
it looks like the utility is just being a utility and not actually a political operative. It, it's when just, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's just unbelievable corruption level upon level. And, you know, and I'm wondering, Alyssa, what 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 did you know about this The Capitalist uh, media outlet? How, how much influence do, did they or do they still have uh, in, in Tallahassee and among among the public? I see that they're actually still operating today, which is incredible after these documents. Seemingly business as usual over there uh, announcing today, for example, that Florida Power and Light's parent company, uh, Next Era Energy is declaring quarterly dividends for its investors. Everything seems to be fine. Uh, what kind of influence do they have in uh, in Tallahassee and, and Florida overall? Well, I would say uh, an important aspect of the capitalists is not only are they turning out content, uh, which, you know, that, that probably goes to their core set of folks that see it, mm-hmm. um, political insiders, people in that conservative base. But I think another thing that the site was used for that's important to know is that they they run online ads on social media. And for anybody that does any type of online advertising, mm-hmm. you know that if you put a few thousand bucks behind a Facebook story, you can get a lot of eyeballs on it. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if they've ever been to your website or not. It's an ad. So if you look on Facebook's ad library, you can see that the capitalist over the years has spent a lot of serious money pushing its stories. Mm -hmm. So getting out behind or getting out from behind that uh, kind of bubble of political people that might naturally go to their site. So I would say that their impact is actually fairly widespread. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is when they attack their critics, a lot of times those critics have an election coming up. So that candidate, their opponent, will use the content from the capitalist and turn it into an attack ad, for example. And then it's getting getting even more leverage. And personally, I also, <laughs> there's a fantastic graphic of me on there somewhere. They decided to come after me after one of my many public criticisms of Florida Power and Light. Ah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of like this list of, like, if you criticize Florida Power and Light, you probably have a post about you somewhere on the Capitalist. Wow. It's almost like a rite of passage. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to criticize the power company, you have to know that this is coming. And like I said, like the the bigger impact on that is when that was getting pushed out with uh, advertising dollars. So a ton of people would see it. Yeah, and that's what I fear. I fear that this is not actually all that unusual at all, that it may be going on in a whole bunch of different states. But when you have this media outlet, whether people actually go to read it or not, if they put out their headlines, and really all it needs is the headlines. If you look at some of their headlines, they sort of tell the whole story that I think FPL wanted to be told. They put out the headlines. The opponent in the candidate picks it up, brings it up. That leads the legitimate the legitimate news outlets to have to go ask about it, ask uh, the uh, the legitimate opponent about it. And uh, you can see how they would have this outsized influence. Do, do you know, does any of this reach up to the, I think the parent company is Next Era Energy is, uh, uh, for uh, FPL, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Next Era Energy. Has any of this reached up to them? Have they taken any action? Are they embarrassed in any way about what seems to be unfolding at Florida Power and Light? So just a few days ago, we, we hit a new point in this ongoing investigation, and that was 
that a financial analyst, I believe it was Seaport, uh, they downgraded Nextera Energy's uh, rating. They had been listed as a buy, mm-hmm. and, beca- and they cited this ongoing uh, scandal and, quote, growing concern over it, over the company's involvement in it. So they downgraded Nextera to uh, neutral. That is the first time, that, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Yeah. That's the first time that this has happened. And when you talk about a giant corporation like Nextera Energy, when the financial analysts start criticizing you, then then that's a that's uh, a big red flag, right? and it means that things are getting pretty serious. Yeah. In some of the early investigative reporting that Jason Garcia did uh, when he was with the Orlando Sentinel, there were some documents uh, that had the the former CEO of Nextera. He has since retired. Jim Robo had his name on it, mm-hmm. so he had been made aware of this kind of pretty early on. And so there, I think up until this point, folks have been hoping that it kind of blows over. But I will say, I mean, you even mentioned just the amount of headlines and the amount of news that we've seen recently. This is becoming impossible to ignore, in my opinion. Uh, You know, NextEra also has, you know, they they came out with uh, this new goal to become the, quote, real zero, and, you know, we have the, the deal with the Biden administration that you also mentioned. Like, there are a lot of big things coming down the line that will have a lot of money that utilities will be involved in. And if your utility is embroiled in criminal investigations and ongoing scandals, that's a really big concern. Well, it, you know, Floridians... It, it is, ahead. but you mentioned that it's unclear if anything unlawful was actually done here. Is there any sort of investigation to find out if, in fact, that is true? I, I mean, I, I can't imagine um, uh, Ron DeSantis going out of his way to uh, to bring the, uh, these, the leadership at FPL done. I mean, what, if anything, is being done about this beyond exposure by the media right now? Well, the exposure by the media is critically important, and I hope that that continues. Um, I will say that there are, you know, there have been criminal charges, especially uh, in the Miami case. Uh, you mentioned the candidate who admitted mm-hmm. to bribing. Right. Um, so there's multiple investigations going on. Also, just a day or two ago, recently, Congresswoman Castor in the Tampa area, she sent uh, a letter to the Department of Justice mm-hmm. citing all of this news and asking for an investigation. Good. Uh, back in 2021, nearly a dozen Florida members of Congress sent a letter also to the Department of Justice asking for an investigation into the whole ghost candidate scandal, so all three races. So there has been requests. Um, Kathy Castor, uh, Congresswoman Castor, is being mm-hmm. the most recent. Um, And it's really just a drumbeat that needs to continue to be beaten. You know, obviously, we we have elections coming up. We'll we'll have to see. I think this is going to be a very long process. I think that voters need to be paying attention. You know, maybe every month when you get your FPL bill, which is higher than it's ever been, that's a good reminder Mm -hmm. (laughs) to see what this company is up to. Why are you paying Florida Power and Light so much money? 
well, they have all these shenanigans going on? It's a great question to ask, and, and, while and we'll see. And, and while you could have uh, solar panels on your own house in the sunshine state, but for FPL trying to uh, prevent that from happening as much as possible, very quickly, is uh, Eric Salaji, uh, despite all of these damning emails uh, now you know coming to light, He's uh, still the CEO of FPL, right? Uh, President and CEO. He has not been forced to step down yet. He is. He is still there. Unbelievable. That is correct. And uh, finally, before I let you go, we've, uh, you know, since we've recently had this stunning news that West Virginia's Joe Manchin, who makes millions himself from the fossil fuel in- industry, has reached an agreement with uh, Democratic Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for a $370 billion climate bill to cut deadly greenhouse emissions by about 40 percent by 2030, even if it allows for the expansion of both on and offshore oil and gas drilling on public lands in order to win Manchin's votes. I'm wondering your thoughts on the measure, what we know about it so far, and if it's something that your group, the Energy and Policy Institute, will be getting behind. Well, it's certainly something that we will be tracking. You know, as with all pieces of energy policy, the details matter Mm -hmm. and implementation matters immensely. I think that it's very clear from the work the Energy and Policy Institute does that we recognize that action on climate and a transition to clean energy has to happen yesterday. And so we're, you know, we're excited to, to see progress towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, we exist as a watchdog to hold the utilities accountable. So whatever this looks like, whatever form it ends up taking, you know, I haven't read all of the hundreds of pages yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think very many people have yet. Uh, so there's a lot more reading that has to be done. Um, but whatever that end result is, it's critical that the implementation is watched very closely. So when you have companies like Florida Power and Light, you know, you mentioned wanting to put panels on your rooftop or uh, solar panels on your rooftop. Just this last session, they wrote a bill and hand delivered it to a senator uh, that would that would have completely dismantled the entire rooftop solar industry in Florida. Um, so you have that happening on the one hand. Well, on the other hand, they're trying to, you know, make these big climate promises and appear to be hand-in-hand with federal legislation. Mm. So the details and the real implications of how that will actually impact Floridians and folks across the nation, that's going to be critically important, and I really look forward to diving in on that. And we look forward to you continuing to watchdog uh, these folks at the Energy and Policy Institute. Alyssa Jean Schaefer is the research and communications manager there. You can find their work at energyandpolicy.org or on Twitter at Energy and Policy. And, of course, you can find Alyssa on Twitter as well at Alyssa Jean. Alyssa Jean Schaefer, I hope you will stay in touch as this story moves forward. It's unbelievable. And we'd like to do all we can to uh, help the world, even beyond the state of Florida, uh, hear about this amazing corruption. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you. Okay, just an incredible story. I know, Uh, kind of bonkers and very widespread. But it does explain those ghost candidates, those phony candidates that were on the ballot that we had been sort of uh, keeping our eye on going all the way back to 2020. Indeed, and this kind of thing, this kind of dark money uh, run by utilities uh, throughout is happening in all 50 states. And it just shows that these guys make 
actually make way too money, too much money. More importantly, they don't pay enough taxes if yep. they've got that much money left over for this kind of crap. Speaking of crap, let's take a quick break and we will come back with, uh, boy, what the Republicans are up to and John Stewart's thoughts about it. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via bradblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So you, you may have heard uh, several weeks ago, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell threatened to pull Republican votes from the otherwise popular bipartisan measure to invest some $50 billion to onshore the production of semiconductor chips which are badly needed to urge our current shortage and increase competition with China. But if the Democrats dared to include climate change action or tax increases for huge corporations in the skinny version of their Build Back Better bill that Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer were negotiating a few weeks ago, McConnell said he would pull the Republican votes from this CHIPS bill. But then, about two weeks ago, Manchin abruptly pulled out of those negotiations yet again, as he does, infuriating Democrats, delighting Republicans, who then decided, OK, they would vote, after all, for this popular chips bill. Well, that vote took place on Wednesday, easily passed the Senate in a wildly bipartisan vote. And then, about an hour or two later, Manchin and Schumer announced that their deal was back on for uh, climate change and raise taxes on huge corporations. And they had agreed on what they are now calling the Inflation Reduction Act, requiring all companies making more than one billion dollars in profits to pay a minimum of 15 percent in taxes. I know it's outrageous. And it would also invest some $370 billion toward mitigating climate change. But oops, too late to cancel the CHIPS bill that the Republicans had already voted for. As incredible as it seems, it does seem like Chuck Schumer actually outfoxed Mitch McConnell. There's the first time for everything. So what did the GOP do in the Senate? Well, on Wednesday night, they were so hopping mad in what was to have been a procedural vote to fix one single line in a bill that they had already passed weeks ago on a wildly bipartisan basis to fund health care for millions of combat veterans who had been exposed to chemicals and toxic burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan, many of whom are now suffering from lung cancer, other deadly diseases. Well, the Republicans threw a fit. They decided they were going to vote against that bill against health care for sick American combat vets. And oh, by the way, on the very same day, on Wednesday at 6.03 p.m., as Huffington Post notes, Senator Rick Scott of Florida 
got on Twitter to make sure that people knew that he supports U.S. military service members. Quote, I was honored to join the USO today and make care packages for our brave military members in gratitude of their sacrifice and service to our nation. Scott tweeted alongside a photo of him at an event hosted by the nonprofit organization in D.C. that same day. Republican Senators Mitt Romney of Utah, Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, they also posted photos of themselves at this USO event. Romney wrote, members of our military are among the nation's best and brightest. Hyde-Smith said in her post, every little bit helps and I'm happy I got to play a, a small part in supporting our troops. And then, of course, minutes later, Scott joined the other Senate Republicans, Romney, Hyde-Smith and... Well, 40 in total, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, in voting against sending the bill to expand health care and disability benefits for veterans exposed to toxic chemicals during their military service uh, onto the House. At a uh, news conference with uh, veterans on Thursday morning, the day after this madness by the Republicans in the U.S. Senate uh, on Capitol Hill, a visibly incensed John Stewart, the former Daily Show host who's become a vocal advocate for vets. He skewered those who voted against this bill after they had voted in favor of it just days ago, including Rick Scott for his tweet about putting together care packages for vets. Stewart said sarcastically, oh, it's beautiful. Did you get the package? I think it has M&Ms in it and some cookies and some moist howlettes. Here's a bit more of what John Stewart had to say on Thursday in front of the Capitol as he and blindsided veterans just erupted in anger after the tanking of this wildly, widely supported bipartisan measure. America's heroes who fought in our wars outside sweating their asses off with oxygen battling all kinds of ailments while these mother sit in the air conditioning walled off from any of it they don't have to hear it they don't have to see it they don't have to understand that these are human beings do you get it yet do we see that these are these aren't heroes? These are men and women, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers. That we just let stand outside in the heat when they can't breathe. I, I, I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even know what to say. I've been coming down here 10, 15 years. I'm used to the hypocrisy. Christina King will tell you from BFW. They, she sat in an office with Mitch McConnell and a war veteran from Kentucky, and he looked that man in the eyes and he said, we'll get it done. And he lied to him. Because Mitch McConnell yesterday flipped. I'm used to the lies. I'm used to the hypocrisy. Senator Pat Toomey won't take a meeting with the veterans groups. Sends out his chief of staff. I'm used to the cowardice. I've been here a long time. Senate's where accountability goes to die. These people don't care. They're never losing their jobs. They're never losing their health care. Pat Toomey didn't lose his job. He's walking away. God knows 
what kind of pot of gold he's stepping into to lobby this government to shit on more people. They passed it. June 16th, they passed the PACT Act. 84 to 14. You don't even see those scores in the Senate anymore. They passed it. Every one of these individuals that has been fighting for years, standing on the shoulders of Vietnam veterans who have been fighting for years, standing on the shoulders of Persian Gulf War veterans fighting for years, Desert Storm veterans, to just get the health care and benefits that they earned from their service. And I don't care if they were fighting for our freedom. I don't care if they were fighting for the flag. I don't care if they were fighting because they wanted to get out of a drug treatment center or it was jail or the army. I don't give a shit. They lived up to their oath. And yesterday, they spit on it. So they can't leave until this gets done. Because these people will not give up, they will not give in, and they will not relent. This is an embarrassment to the Senate, to the country, to the founders, and all that they profess to hold dear. And if this is America first, then America is f***ed. By the way, uh, these people he referred to in the Senate, since John Stewart didn't say it, are all Republicans. Those people who voted against the combat veterans suffering after exposure to toxic chemicals. Anyway, got to get out. Some food for thought. Yep. Our thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And to our guest today, Alyssa Jean Schaefer of the Energy and Policy Institute. And for all and to all of you for spending portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. That, of course, made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I'm simply the Brad Blog. I hope you'll find and follow me there. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.